Hey, this is Scotty Vermeen from Daniel Boone Baptist Church in Gate City, Virginia. I'm the interim pastor and would like to invite you to worship with us at 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings. We also have Bible study at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Check us out on Facebook at Daniel Boone Baptist Church where you will find weekly sermons and daily interaction to keep you in touch with the Lord and to keep you in touch with His kingdom. I got 21 whippings in the second grade. That's not a fib, that is, that's the truth. I got 21 of them, you know, took me a while to learn. Now in the second grade, my wife teaches second grade, the worst thing that can happen is you get a stick pulled, <laughs> you know, and I don't know if that hurts or not, but it's kind of funny. Uh, you get your stick pulled, and if you get so many sticks pulled, then you get a punishment, you know, five days from now, but, you know, I, I think it works better if you feel it, don't you? Yeah, yeah, a lot of the lessons in life that we uh that we really learn are the ones that hurt the most. You know what I mean? So I just thought I'd tell you all that has nothing to do with the sermon today. <laughs> I was just sitting there thinking, I can't believe I got 21 licks in, in second grade. I was a good boy though, right? Heavenly Father, bless this word today. And God, as you speak, I pray that you would dismiss me and use my tongue. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if I get lost today, you guys just smile at me. I've got a lot of stuff to give you. Uh, we're going to be in a lot of scripture, but God has a message for us. Uh, we talk a whole bunch about, uh, you know, about progress and about the uh, struggle. And, and a few weeks ago, you remember I told you I was going to preach about the enemy, the devil. And then I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And then God gave me a different word. Well, today I'm kind of going to hit on him just a little bit. We're going to talk about the enemy some. Uh, but we're going to talk we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. OK, you'll see in just a minute as we get started. Uh, but I first want to go to Psalm 37.1. The video I did this week on Thursday, uh, God really uh, gave me something uh, concerning desires of your heart. Because really, that is a deep, deep, deep thought when you read Psalm 37.4. And it says that the Lord, if you delight yourself in Him, that He'll give you the desires of your heart. If you're like me, I kind of, I'm, I'm like, sometimes I'm not in the best of places. And I wonder, how can God give me that? You know, that's a big desire I might have. You know what I mean? And so desires are, are, are that, is that thing that when, when you desire something, you want something really bad, uh, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. And we're going to venture into that for just a few minutes before we move on. But listen to what it says in Psalm 37. I'm going to read uh, five verses, okay? And, and you guys, uh, listen to this. It says, do not fret in verse 1 because of evildoers. Does anybody in here sometimes get really sick and tired of evil yeah there was a time a couple years ago where and it was it's all it's all tension and it's cnn and it's fox and it's all these news networks and then they say go to newsmax and see what they got to say and you go to newsmax and it's all the same stuff it's just from different perspectives and it causes like this anger in me because i see evil and you see evil as christians and you just want to cancel it out you know what i mean talk about cancel culture let's cancel out evil but don't fret because of evildoers nor be envious of the workers of iniquity don't want what they have you know listen tv and media now really elevates hollywood and superstars and you know, those things that they seem to have, they bring them joy, but, but don't really. It says, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Verse 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Let's just stop right there. Trust in God and do good. 
If we spent our time in those two places, we wouldn't have time for this other stuff. Dwell in the land. I think it's important that the psalmist tells us to live where God's planted us. That's what the video said. When you're doing what God's called you to do, where God's called you to do it, that's where you find that the desires of your heart will be fulfilled. Isn't that neat? Don't be looking for somebody else's land to dwell in. It says, and feed on his faithfulness. God's faithfulness feeds us daily. Verse 4, delight yourself also in the Lord, it says, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. It's like a heart transplant. The closer you get to God, the more he puts in your heart the things that he wants you to have, and you will actually begin to desire the things that God has for you because those are the only possible things that can, can fulfill you. None of this other stuff can fulfill you. You see what I mean? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I love this one. Commit your way to the Lord. So God's called me to this. God's called you to that. Then commit your way in that to the Lord. Trust in him, and he shall bring whatever it is that he's called you to to pass. I think that is a liberating piece of scripture. To think that God will bring to pass the things that he's planted in my heart to do. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? What a great passage of scripture. All right, now you can start laughing. Here's where God took me. You know, growing up, I could give you all kinds of stories, and I know you guys like stories, and I love to tell them, but I, was re I really liked basketball when I was growing up, but I really liked watching my brother play because I'd go to Emory Henry, and I was five, and he was playing, and it was just great. You know, you all know Mike Young, that coaches at Virginia Tech. Does anybody know Mike Young, the head coach of Virginia Tech? He played with him, and I can remember being at Emory one time. Remember when he lost his contact? He lost his contact, and they stopped the game, and it took about 30 minutes. It was when you couldn't, you didn't have replaceable ones. I guess they were made of glass. I don't know what they were, but, but he, well, he had to find his contact. You remember that? Isn't that cool? And so I remember those things, and I really, God started growing stuff in me. And I'll just give you a, a quick tidbit. I really liked that game of basketball, and it, it, it tickled a place in me that, I, that I, just, I can't explain it to you. But that's what I've done for years. It has to do with, with a round ball. But God called me to something else, and it's really relationships, and it's coaching, and it's teaching, and it's being a part of young men's lives and young ladies' lives, and, and now a part of your life. But when you have children, the tendency is to try to give them what you got because that's all you knew. Does that make sense to you? And so as I tried to give my kids stuff, and I, I, it was the first time I'd had kids when I had Drew. You know what I mean? I had never been down this road. And then the first time I had a girl when I had Sophie, and I, I, I bought more ammunition. You know, you men understand. But as they grew, God, God was faithful to me and to, to Leanne to show us some things. Like when he was about 10 or 12, and he's not here today, we're playing travel basketball because that's what everybody does to get better, to get above the, the average Joe, and let's become the best we can be. And at about 12, we ask him, do you like this? And his answer, he wasn't, it wasn't that, it wasn't like, yeah, I love it. It was, yeah, I, I like doing this. And I could tell that it wasn't his passion to play travel basketball. Did he love basketball? Absolutely. But he loved some other stuff too. One of the things he learned to love was hunting. I'm a terrible hunter. I had never killed anything, okay? I'm so loud and I'm so impatient. But I took him hunting when he was about nine. He had a little twenty-two that we'd just gotten him. And it was turkey hunting. I'd never been turkey hunting. This was just a few years ago. And we go down on the, on the ridge, and we call in some, uh, what do you call them, geese? We called in geese. That's how bad we were at calling. The second time we went, we tried it again. We called in the biggest gobbler that you've ever seen. It came right to us, 
He shoots it, misses it, it flies away, and I turn and look at him, and he's got tears rolling down his eyes. Now, you don't cry about something that you don't care about. You know what I'm talking about? And so we, God birthed like this passion for hunting and wildlife and nature, and, and then he decides to get cows. I'd never raised a cow. The, the, the closest I'd come to raising cows was this one called Bill. Leanne will remember. My dad had a bull, and I guess it was a steer, but he, we named it Bill because my dad's name's Bill, and we petted Bill all the time. Well, one one uh, evening we were eating steak around the table, and my dad slipped up and said, boy, Bill tastes good, don't he? And, of course, Leanne went all to pieces. I am never eating steak again. That's how that went. That's as much as I knew about beef and cows. But Drew's got this passion for cows now, and it's actually spilled over to Sophie. And now we think about, uh, when I think about Sophie, my daughter, and she is here today, like I never would have dreamed she would love to cut hair and things of that nature, cosmetology. But she picked up on it quick, and she learned how to do it. You know those people that can do something, and you're like, how do you do that? Like him on a guitar, or you know what I'm saying? Or, or even in a game of basketball, like how some people, like Steph Curry, you ever watch him? He's not real big. He defies the odds of being an NBA superstar. But the way he does what he does, it's like a gift. It's like something that God has put in him. Now, God's put something in all of us, and we don't always use it for him. And I'm never going to give you examples of Jesus like walking the earth now because there, there are none of those. Jesus was the only one. But we are followers of Christ, and God has given us certain things that we can, if we choose to trust in the Lord and walk in them, he will fulfill those desires. Does that make sense to you? And so my desires going to my children, they're different. God put something in them that he didn't put in me. But it's the same process. And your kids have the same thing in your grandkids. I see adults way too often struggle and fight against what God has given their kids. But they want them to have this. I see it all the time. That's the business I'm in, though. I'm in, I'm, I'm in the youth business. But I just want to talk about the, the passions that God gave my kids. Is it okay if I do that for just a second? Check this out. That is dragonfly. Big old long horns. She just had a baby. This one belongs to Drew. Correct me if I'm wrong. But see, what happens is when, when you start fulfilling, and God fulfills your passions and desires, it spills over on other people. So now we've got Sophie has this little feller. And if you look real close, its name's Penny. It's got two or three names, like Safari's Penny. And, uh, you know, you get a name from the sire, is that, what you, is that what you call it, and the dame, is that what you call them? You get a name from each one when you name these things, kind of like human beings, you know, you get. So anyway, look at his two, uh, her, uh, her two teeth. Isn't that funny? <laughs> All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. But this is Penny, that's Sophie's, isn't she pretty? And then this is Eli's. No, this is Eli's. What's his name, Dragon? No. Safari, Safari, Safari's uh, Penny's mother. Isn't that cool? And they know stuff about these longhorns that I, I couldn't know. Now this one right here, here, this is the beast of them all. This is Cut. We call him Cut. It's Cut the Victory. He's the bull. He's the one that's going to sire the, the, these herds that we're going to have, right? We lost a couple last Sunday, by the way, his first two. They both passed away last Sunday. But anyway, that's just a passion I never had, and he's got it. Now, does this have anything to do with kingdom building? I don't know. God just kind of does that. Does coaching have anything to do with kingdom building? Well, if you choose to use it in that way, it does. If you choose to use it in the other way, then obviously it's going gonna, it's gonna to be used in the other way too. But, 
God gives us different desires. And when I think about my daughter as far as cutting hair, I was always like, how do you, I mean, how do you start that? She's, she's already cutting hair, and, you know. And when I watch her cut hair, it's just like it's normal and natural. And so God gives us desires, and then he chooses, he wants to fulfill those desires in us. God desires to give you your desires. Now, here's where we're going today. Listen carefully. The devil knows that if he can mess that up, if he can mess that up, he knows if he can mess that process up, he can mess up your whole life and everyone who's connected to you. He can even get you to a place where you doubt the existence of God. That's his goal. You understand that? Don't let it happen. We're going to talk about that today. Don't let it happen. It's your choice. He'll use anything he can to get to you. Anything. He'll use your closest relationships sometimes to get to you. He'll especially use your mistakes. See, what he wants you to do is think about your past and how you messed up multiple times in the past. And he'll want you to ponder and to consider and to think about those things. He'll even use relationship conflict to get to you. He will. He will. Here's the way I like to think about the past. When I'm driving, I have a rear view mirror that's this big, right? And I have a windshield that's this big. Very simply put, I need to pay attention to where I'm going and just keep in mind what's behind me. I don't need to focus on what's behind me. Just keep in mind, know your tendencies, know your weaknesses, know your strengths, know God delivers. Rearview mirror and windshield. So when I think about my desires and my wife's desires, when we became this and we, learn, and we lived together and we're still learning each other, then we, my children have desires. They're all different desires. Same God. Y'all got it? Different desires, same God. One purpose, one team, one family, one church. That's biblical all throughout the Bible. We are better together. We're better together. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The enemy is constantly looking for ways to gain access to your mind. Do you believe that? And if he can't get it easily, then he'll use someone close to you, or he'll use a conflict. Or he'll use a, different, a difference of opinion. Or he'll use something like speculation. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But he wants to gain access to your mind so that he can sit down at the table of fellowship with you. What do I mean by that? As we search Psalm 23, we're going to read it all and then we're going to come back to uh, verse 5. And we're going to talk about the table of fellowship that God has for the believer. It's for the Christian. It's for us. His children. I would say today, flip it on the enemy. God prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemy. Some days, honestly, in some weeks, some weeks are terrible. Raise your hand if, I, if, if you've experienced bad days and bad weeks. Amen. So we've all experienced the struggle. Some are really, really bad. Some, I just want to throw my hands up and give up and say, this is not working. Okay? We've all been there, I'm certain. But God prepares a table for us in the midst of that in the midst of that and today I want to help you don't give the enemy a seat at your table don't let him sit down 
he'll start telling you some things. And I'm going to give you those things that he will tell you to get you distracted today. So today I hope you leave with, with a better ability to recognize the enemy who's at work in, in our lives. He is. He's at work around us. We have to stay focused. Don't let the enemy have a seat at the table. Let's go to Psalm 23. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That just basically means he's my daddy. I will never be in want or need. He will take care of everything. If I don't have it, that means I don't need it. Okay? That's what it means. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes he has to say, come here, son. Lay down. <laughs> stop searching. Stop seeking. Stop arguing. Stop comparing. Lay down. I've given you green pastures. Now lay down in them. Sometimes I hear that voice from God. You know what I mean? He makes me lie down in green pastures. I like the King James Version in this one. I just like the way it sounds. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my souls. Anybody ever had a day where you needed your soul restored? Yeah, absolutely. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. That just basically means he, he leads me in the path of doing the right things for the right reasons. And he blesses me for it. For his name's sake. Really, for his name's sake means this. It just means that I represent him. I don't represent myself. I actually represent her and my two and my, my family. I represent a bigger piece of this puzzle than just myself. And it really goes back to him. And verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Does it say walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Or does it say, Yea, though I walk and I stay or I, I'm conditioned to or prison to the valley? No, it says I walk through it. And here's what that means to me is that there's going to be times in my life and times in your life when you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But guess what? You're walking through it. You're going to come out. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And this is the passage for today. Verse 5 says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I really like that verse. Does anybody else get excited about that verse? prepares a table for me in the midst of my enemies. If you think you don't have any enemies, look around. Or maybe you've turned the TV off, keep it off. You know, they're all around us. Thou anointest my head with oil. You know what that means? It just means God is, is showing honor to you. He's pouring favor out on you. Isn't that wonderful? My cup runneth over. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever psalm 23 5 it's a powerful passage god prepares for us a meal in the midst of struggle i want to talk to you a little bit about that struggle today because the enemy causes a lot of the struggle he really does now we don't need to give him too much credit he's not all powerful he's not all knowing but he does create conflict did you know that every inch of kingdom growth comes with resistance like if you decide today that you're going to stop this thing that's, that is either ungodly, it's unrighteous, it's a bad habit. Know that it's going to probably be easy for just a little while. But once the enemy figures out that, hey, I don't have him or her anymore, he's going to start sending his spirits towards you to tempt you. And to do some stuff that will cause you to rethink your decision. And so every inch comes with resistance. In coaching, it's like this. The better you are, the, the more prepared the opponent is. If you're no good, they're not even, they don't even have a scouting report on you. But if you're pretty good, they got a scouting report on you. They've watched film. They've come to see your victories. 
They've watched your tendencies. They see whether or not you're right-handed or left-handed or all that stuff. The enemy has tools, you know. And today I want to help you recognize some of his tools because they're deceptive. And if you don't know, you you might not recognize them. Today God's going to give you a translator. So that when you're in the middle of that thing that the enemy's thrown at you, you can say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I don't think that's God. Today I want the Lord to give you a translator. You'll learn how to break the code. Is that cool? That's where we're going today. There's three things, three weapons that the enemy will use against you. The first one's deception. He's a deceiver. The Bible speaks clearly of that. Second one's temptation. There's, there's really three different, there's more than three, but there's three primary ways he tempts us. He tempts us through the flesh. He tempts us through what we see, the eyes, and he tempts us with pride, the pride of life, okay? And then the third one, and this is the one that I struggle with, I'll just be honest with you, is accusation. You ever been accused of something that you didn't do or, or that you're really not thinking? You know, like if you dislike a, a certain thing, Uh, it's really not that you dislike the people that are participating in the thing. It's just that the thing is not godly. You know what I mean? And so you get accused of not liking them, which is not true at all. And he uses these things to divide us relationally. This is important because we all live in relationship. He uses unforgiveness. That's a tough thing. I get it. There's some people who's done some things to me and to you that are just unforgivable. Let's just be honest. But in Christ, we can forgive. He uses jealousy. And jealousy uh, peeps its little head up in a whole lot of different ways. It's not always easy to see. It's not always like I, I want or I like or I envy. And so I'm jealous. It's not always like that. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then speculation. Speculation basically is the movie that you, that you play in your mind that isn't even real. Sometimes I've heard people say, ah. You know, I know what they think about me. And the truth is, they probably don't think about you at all. You know what I mean? They're probably not, they're, if, if it's that kind of person, then they're thinking about themselves. Let's just be honest. Okay, they're not thinking about you. Speculation. Here's the enemy's methods. And these are some ways that you can start figuring him out. If you, if you get to a place where you doubt salvation, you doubt God, you doubt faith, you doubt the things that's forever, from the beginning of time to the end in this word, then you know that's from the enemy. He's planted it there. If you start doubting your faith, doubting that God even exists, that's from the enemy. That's a method he uses. Because if he can get us to not believe in God, then all this stuff that God gives us to live in liberty, then we, we, he can get us to doubt those things too. Self-reliance. I don't need anybody else. I can do this on my own. That's from the enemy. When you start thinking you don't need such and such and so and so, and God won't always put perfect pieces in your life, he actually may put <clears throat> imperfect pieces so that it can weed out some of your flaws. But You understand what I mean? Isolation, that's a big one. If you find yourself isolated and lonely, that's not of God. God does not want us to be lonely or isolated. Guilt and shame. I had a friend tell me one time that guilt and shame are there not to hold us down, but to, just to keep us in, in a spot where we, we don't do it again. You know what I mean? And so it really shouldn't be guilt and shame. It should be something else. And I don't have a word for it right now. But chaos and busyness. If the enemy can get you really, really busy. And you don't have time for the things of God and his word. Because in in here's life. There's no life in my words. But there's life in the word. 
If he can get you chaotic and busy and away from his word, he's winning. Comparison. We compare ourselves all the time. I still do it. And I'm 46. 46. Yeah, 46. Yeah. I, still, I do it all the time. And I know, I know y'all do it. Kids at school do it. It's big for them. They compare themselves. And then lastly, greed. He'll use greed and he'll use envy as some of his methods to cripple us. So we must be very careful. Let's talk about deception. John 10, 10 says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. So let's figure this out. How can I identify when something that is coming at me is from the enemy? That's what we're doing today. How can I identify that, that whatever's coming at me is from the enemy? Because if I let it grow, his goal is to steal, to kill, and destroy Jesus says this, he says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. If you hear a voice that tells you that life is better, and here's the deal, when I think about that table, let's talk about that for just a second first. When I think about the table of fellowship that God prepares for me in the midst of my struggle, that table has two seats. One's for me. The other one is for him. In order for somebody else to sit down, somebody has to get up. And light and darkness can't dwell together. So God's not going to sit with the enemy. He has to get up so the enemy sits down. You have to be very careful about who you let sit at your table. Does that make sense to you? This seat, the title of the sermon is, This Seat is Saved. When you hear and feel the enemy coming at you, you need to tell him, you can't sit here. This seat's saved. You understand that? And so one of the ways he does that is through these tactics. If he can make you do this, if he can say to you while you're sitting and, and dining with him that life is better at another table, you can guarantee that's not of God. Somebody else's lot is not better than yours. If you try to fill somebody else's shoes and live their life, you're going to be a miserable mess. We've all tried it, I would say. He'll tell you that life's better at another table, a different table, somebody else's table. If that's happened, you're sitting with the enemy. The enemy, when we fellowship with him, will point out something or someone and cause you to covet or envy their table. That falls into a lot of places. Jealousy, envy, greed. That can fall into all those places. Here's three tricks that he uses. Comparison. If you find yourself this week comparing your life or your deed or your problems even. My problems are bigger than theirs. That's not of God. The moment you start looking through a lens of comparing to somebody else or to some other condition. Or why isn't my life better? Or why did God cause me to do this? Or why am I having to do this? Stop right there. And turn around and tell him to get out of the seat. He's entering your table. Comparison leading to jealousy, which leads to coveting other people's things. I don't want, and right now I'm, I'm in the presence of God. My, God's spirit is on me right now, I'll just be honest with you. I don't want nothing you guys have. I want what I got. You hear what I'm saying? That's the right attitude. When you start comparing and wanting somebody else's stuff, it's from the devil. That's number one. That's a trick of his. Can, that, can it be a good thing? Here's the, here's the problem. Sometimes we compare and we want what other people has that's good. That's still comparing. Be careful. Number two, 
If this comes in your mind, God's punishing me for a sin in the past, that is not of God. We live in the New Testament church. We're the New Testament church. We don't, we, we, God offered Jesus up to as a sacrifice for our sins. So here's the deal on that. Every sin I have committed and will commit, as long as I am in confession and repentance and moving forward, I'm forgiven. He's not punishing me for a past sin. Are there consequences for sin? Yes. And those will be paid. That's just part of life. But I'm not being punished. Okay? God loves me more than that. And when you think God really don't care about my situation, it's just a minor thing, that's from the enemy. If that starts coming in your mind, you need to say, get out of this seat. This seat's reserved. Thirdly, the grass is greener on the other side. And I've got some feedback from this. I've spoken it from the pulpit before. And I, here's the deal. I would never want you or anybody else to remain in an, in an abusive relationship. That is not right. That's not right. Okay? Don't ever do that. Seek God in that. But the grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. Now, you can apply that to anything you want to apply it to. I'll just leave that up to the Holy Spirit and you. It's not greener on the other side of the fence. It's greener where you water it and you cut it. It's about grass cutting season, isn't it? And you fertilize it and you spray for weeds. That's where the grass is greener. You start jumping over to somebody else's property on the other side of the fence, you might find yourself shot. That's just the way that rolls. Be careful. The grass is not greener on the other side. If you start thinking that, that's from the enemy. Tell him to get out of your seat. This seat's reserved. Okay? Recognize his tactics, his methods. Second one's temptation. I could talk all day about this, and when I won't, I'm just going to talk for a few seconds. Temptation. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that means... You know, I get hungry, I get sleepy, I get angry, I get resentful, I get bitter. All of that's fleshly. Now, some of it you got to feed, like hunger. You know what I mean? But you better be careful not to let the things that are of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, those are things you covet that you see. Those are things that I told you a couple weeks ago, when we take something that's not of God, what do we have to do? we got to hide it. We can't enjoy it like we thought we could. You see what I mean? That's the lust of the eyes. And then it says the pride of life. Basically is that, you know, when, when the enemy, when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Do you know that after he was baptized, God sent Jesus to the wilderness? The Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness. Think about that for just a second. Think about it this week. God allows certain things to happen and to come to us so that we can get stronger. But it says the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. It's not of the Father, it's of the world. Here's some ways to fight temptation. Number one, do not fight it alone. Isolation is one of the enemy's methods. Now here's what he'll do to you. He'll tell you nobody else deals with that. You better not tell nobody you're dealing with that. Or nobody will ever forgive you for, for that kind of thought process. That's a lie. There's nothing that comes at us that didn't go to Jesus. I just, the Bible is very clear about that. He experienced everything we do. But there's nothing we experience that's not common to other people. They experience the same stuff. Ask God to help you know where to share it. Very important. 
Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And it says, And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. An old pastor told me one time that the threefold cord, that is two people and the Lord. And if you intertwine, it's like marriage. The closer you grow to God together, the closer you grow together. Does that make sense? A threefold cord is not easily broken. Number two, when temptation comes, flee. Now, this is different from number three. We're going to talk about it too. But number two is flee. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee also youthful lusts. I started just to put that in there and leave out the second part. But I think the second part's important. I think it's like this. It's like when you, when you uh, take something out of your life that leaves a hole, you got to put something back in to fill it. And I believe the second part is, what is, 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 is that part that fills. Flee from youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. If you pursue peace with your fellow man, that'll fill your 24 hours. Pursue that. <laughs> you know? Flee. Number three, this is not flee. This is something different. When you find yourself in the middle of it, Look for the way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptations overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape. Look for the way out. When you're in the middle of it, look for the way out. That you may be able to bear it. Don't fight alone. Flee and look for the way out. Temptation. Now let's look at accusation. John chapter 8, we're going to read verses 2 through 10. It's a story that I want you to hear. Because really, when accusation comes at you, get this. They're not coming for you. Who do you think they're coming for? Him. Pay attention to that. They're not coming for you. They're coming for him. John chapter 8. Starting in verse 2. Now early in the morning he came, Jesus, again into the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees, be careful about the scribes and the Pharisees. They brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. I wonder who's in the room. You know what I mean? And where's the man? You see? Are we going to have different standards for different people? All right. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. Now listen to what this says. I've told you they aren't coming after you. They're coming after him. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something to wit of which to accuse him. Here's, here's a, here's a problem. It's not a problem. It's just a reality. When you, when you represent Jesus Christ, you say, I, I am a Christian. I'm saved and I'm doing my best to walk according to his, his uh, standard for my life. And we, we won't fail and all that. But people will begin, and when I say people, them and they. They will begin to look for things to con for in you to contradict what you say your faith is. You see what I'm talking about? So they're not coming for you. Don't take it personal. They're coming for him. The text says it very clearly. That, that they might have something of which to accuse him, not her. Okay? It's not you. Remember, we're in the New Testament. 
There's no sin that God won't forgive. There's nothing, absolutely nothing below him. Okay, let's just keep going. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground. I want you to pay attention to his reaction to their accusations. He stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Some, some people have, have said that they think he wrote their sin down, what their sin was. Or I don't know what he wrote down. I think if it would have been put in here, then we would have limited what that thing is by what he puts down. And if we didn't fit into that category, we'd have been like, well, I'm okay. I don't know if he wasn't just drawing. He might have just been drawing little uh, hearts or crosses because he knows eternity. He hadn't been on the cross yet, but he might have been drawing crosses. Who knows? It says as though he did not hear. He was ignoring them. Let's just be honest. He heard them, but he was, he was ignoring them at a certain level. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up. He got back up. First he stooped, he got back up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. Understand this, when it says beginning with the oldest even to the last, even the world follows the example of the people that go before them. We as older people are examples to younger people. And when they see us crumble underneath a little bit of accusation or fear or doubt, then you can make no mistake, they will too. They're going to follow your example. Sometimes the most powerful thing you can do as an adult is stand. You don't have to say a word. Just stand. You know what I'm saying? Just stand. Stand firm. Stand at peace. Keep it together. When my nephew died, uh, my mom and my dad were up on the hill, and we were all a little bit tore up, and we'd, we were just there. We found him. It was awful. I, mean, I don't want to re replay that. But when I looked at the barn, my mom was sitting on a bucket, just sitting on a bucket. And the Lord spoke something to me right there. Sometimes you just got to stand. Those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst, guess who was left? Jesus and the woman. Let's see if he condemns her. Let's see if he stones her. When Jesus had raised himself up, this is important, when he stood back up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Who did I say they were after? Not her. They were just using her. You see what I mean? They were just using her. You know what I mean? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. There's not a sin. There's not a sin that we commit. Blasphemy is something different. And I ain't going to preach about that today. That's a little different. I'm not sure I know enough about that to preach it. Does that make sense to you? I'm not sure. But I do know that there's nothing we can do that God won't forgive. And he tells her, neither do I condemn you. But he doesn't say, go about your way, your merry way. He says, go and don't do that again. That's that guilt and shame part. You, just, you carry it a little bit for a little while just to keep you from doing it again. It's not actually you that they are after. 
Be careful when you start listening to they and them. If you allow they and them to speak into your life, you're liable to let the enemy sit at your table. Who are they and them? Well, sometimes it's, it's easy. It's the world. People that don't believe. But sometimes it's people who call themselves Christians, and maybe they will. They'll even call and check on you when you're sick. You know what I mean? So be careful who they and them are, who, who you allow to speak. Remember a few weeks ago I said, be careful who you allow to speak to you, speak truth to your life. Very careful. There's only a few people that have the right to speak truth to me. And I don't mean that towards anybody, but I'm just being honest. I had a guy tell me one time about 15, okay, 18. Okay, it's a long time ago. It was like 17 years ago. He told me, you're in the wrong business. You need to get out of coaching now. Now, that was a challenge for me. And it was someone I respected. And I just had to stand and keep doing what God called me to do. You understand what I'm saying? Be careful who you let speak to your life. But accusation, they're really not after you. They're after him. Here's what to do when you're standing under accusation. Number one, and I got this from this passage. I didn't make it up. Number one, say nothing at all. It eats them up. They can't stand it. When they're demanding an answer from you and there really is no answer because they're right and you're right and there's, there's really... There's nothing you can really say to change their mind. Have you ever argued with somebody and you wasn't changing their mind? I said it a few weeks ago and I'll say it again. Don't wrestle with a pig because you both get dirty and the pig likes it. Yeah. How true is that? Say nothing at all. They'll eventually move on to somebody else. That's how they do. They have no right to speak to me or you as children of God. Number two, raise yourself up. Here's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to feel defeated. He wants you to shut your mouth. He wants you to sit down. He wants you to get back over in a closet somewhere. He wants you to get by yourself. When you see that happening, tell him to get up from your table and remove himself. This seat is saved. Y'all got me? This seat's saved. Raise yourself up. Jesus did it twice in that passage. He stooped, he drew, and then he raised himself up. And then thirdly, this is super important. And I didn't know how to put it down, so I just put it like this. Look to Jesus. The woman eventually was left alone with Jesus, and her accusers were gone. Now, if she would have spent the rest of that day looking and thinking and hearing the accusations, she would have went to a panic mode. Anxiety would have hit. She would have had to went to a place and hid her face. But when we are standing with God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in us, all we need to do is ask him what he thinks about it. And if he's forgiven you, then you need to forgive yourself and you need to move on. Okay, that, just move on. Stand up and move forward. Don't look at the, at, at the accusers. Very important. And so my question to you today, and I'm done, is who is sitting at your table? It's deceiving, and you'll think those emotions that come up in you are right and good. But you better pay attention. It might be the enemy. He might use somebody close to you. Who's sitting at your table? There's only two seats. It's you. And who's sitting at your table? You get to choose that. And I would also ask you, where are you experiencing temptation in your walk with Christ? Where are you experiencing accusation? Where are you seeing the enemy deceive you? I tell you, this, this hit me this week, and I'll hush. There's a situation I'm praying about, and I'm, and I'm asking God to fix it. 
And if I just keep going and keep going and keep going to a place where it ain't fixed, guess whose responsibility it is to fix it? Yeah, that's how it works. Now, God does go before us, and he'll fight our battles for us, and he'll do all that. We get that. But there's times in our life where he calls us to do it. So where are you experiencing the deceptive work of the enemy? And what has God called you to do? I think that's an important question. What's God called you to do, and where has God called you to do it? Psalm 37, 4. Who is sitting at your table? Bow your heads with me, please. Maybe today you've heard a word that encourages you, but you would just like for me to pray for you to help you push through the resistance. Raise your hand if that's you. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for each person here. God, today is a big day. Lord, we come to church today not to check the box off, but we actually came today to hear a word from heaven. And so I thank you for that word. God, as we dive into these notes this week and we go back and reflect what you have spoken over us, I pray that we would more easily, more readily, more clearly see the works of the enemy around us. Not because we honor him, but because we, we don't want him sitting at our table. So help us to see the deception and temptation and accusation that comes at us quite often. And help us to send it away. Lord, with your help, we ask that you would show us those things. And Lord, for each hand that went up, I pray a special dose of your Holy Spirit power, courage, and commitment to freeing ourselves of these things that tend to cripple us and hold us back and keep us stuck. God, today as we leave, I pray that you would give victory to each person that walked in here this morning. Lord, for each person online that's listening or watching it later, God, I pray that you would continue to do a work in their lives as well. Thank you for this church and this group of people. And I pray, God, as we leave, that you will help us to leave in power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all want a bonus? Anybody want a bonus? It won't take me two minutes. Psalm 37, 12 through 17 says, The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. You know that's what the devil does. He gnashes with his teeth. He, he tries to act all scary, but he has no teeth. You know what I mean? He has no teeth. It says he gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow. To cast down the poor and the needy. To slay those who are of upright conduct. If you're trying to live your life right. You can guarantee that them and they are going to come out. And, and try to accuse you and throw things at you. It says to cast down the poor and the needy. The, to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart. And their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man has is better than riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Isn't that good? Now walk out of here with that today. Amen. Y'all have a good week.